this morning we will be reading from Genesis chapter 16, verses 1 through 16. Now Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarah said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go in to my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarah. So after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarah said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarah, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarah dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarah, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress, Sarah. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, you are a God of seeing. For she said, Truly, here have seen him who looks after me. Therefore the well was called Berlaharoi. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bore Abram a son. And Abram called the name of his son whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. May God bless the reading of his word. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, you have continually revealed yourself to us. I ask this morning that you give us ears to hear, hearts to believe and faith that compels us to follow and obey. The text we're studying today is is too common, the circumstances we see here. We find it much too easy to depend upon ourselves. Day after day, we are tempted to make plans after our own liking, plans after our own believing. Moment after moment, we are impatient, unwilling to wait for you, 
Even here today in this very room, many of us are facing challenges. Even now, we are weighing out the rational solutions. Even now, anxious feelings are pressing in upon us to act quickly, to act in our own understanding. I pray that you might give us fresh eyes to see you today. I pray that you might give us confidence to trust you for our needs. I pray that you might equip us to wait with unwavering expectation. I pray that you will write your faithfulness on our hearts and lives. Deliver us from business as usual today. May today be the day of salvation for the one who is in the desert all alone. I pray that your spirit might pierce their hearts with the truth of the gospel, that you would convince them that you see and hear, that you would convict them of sin and self-reliance, that you would give them the faith to believe, to trust you, that, Father, you would impute your righteousness to their account. Give them the boldness to confess you as Lord. Father, have your way, your will among us, Lord, in us today, that you might use us to advance your gospel here and around the world. For we ask it all in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Well, Genesis chapter 16, it's been a few weeks since we were in Genesis. It has been said by some that faith is the refusal to panic. I like that definition, but I think it's somewhat incomplete. Believing God is the remedy for our panic. Genesis 15 provided for us an amazing chapter. And as I said, we studied it two or three weeks ago now. Abram struggled there with his faith and likely experienced some panic in his own life. God had given him a great promise, a promise to bless, a promise to make his name great, a promise to use him in incredible fashion. He was nearly 80 years old at the time and still was without child. No heir, no No anticipation that God was underway of making his name great or making him a father of nations. In fact, Abram said there in chapter 15, the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus, who was his servant. God countered his doubts and affirmed his promise. And the scripture says that Abram believed God. And that God counted it as righteousness. Not that he counted his believing as righteousness because Abram was imperfect and unable to demonstrate righteousness. But that he, he counted his belief in God's righteousness as his own. Then God made a contract, a covenant with Abram. There were torn and butchered animals on display for Abram to see. And there God walked 
among those, which was a common custom for forming a contract or forming a covenant, the parties involved in the agreement would walk among such torn and butchered animals to say that if I break the terms of this agreement, this will happen to me. It's important to note that Abram was not asked to walk among those animals with God, but that God walked alone. In fact, Abram was put into a deep sleep while all this was taking place. The covenant, the promise, the contract does not depend upon Abram at all, but depends upon God. It was a great moment in Abram's life, one of those mountaintop experiences that we all aspire to have. And we think when we have them that our lives are changed forever and we'll never go back to what we were before. We'll never have those doubts or fears again. But the truth is we're still broken creatures living in a broken world. We come to chapter 16 and the text says, Now, Sarah had borne no children. We don't know the time that's elapsed here, but we're somewhere within a 10-year window of the time that Abram arrived in this land of destination, this place where God had sent him and promised to do all of these things. And his 85th birthday is coming even somewhere in this 16th chapter, these events. This chapter plays out in real time what God had demonstrated in the previous chapter. It shows why it's so important that the covenant rests on God alone. We see the contrast between human faithlessness and God's steadfast faithfulness. So those are the two points this morning. Those are the two things we see and how they contrast and we make application, how they apply in our lives. So let's unpack this this morning, beginning with this lesson in human frailty, human failing, human faithlessness. The first six or seven verses here tell us this. So we think about the background. Abram has received this promise. He was in Ur of the Chaldeans. God came to him. It was a pagan land. They had idolatrous worship going on. And God called Abram out, said, take all that you have, take your family and go. I'm going to do something great with you and through you. And so they went, obeyed God's word, expecting God to fulfill the promise. God reiterated the promise again. We saw that in chapter 15. The status now is that Abram is 85 years old. Sarah, 75 years old. And they have no children. And the probabilities are dropping like a rock. Right? And we see rising desperation. We can feel it. Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children, Sarah said. Not only has God not delivered on what he said, but God is now tormenting me and preventing me from bearing children. He's toying with us. She's blaming God and finding fault with God. 
Oswald Chambers said, it is easy to say we believe in God as long as we remain in the little world we choose to live in. But get out into the great world of facts, the noisy world where people are absolutely indifferent to you, where your message is nothing more than a crazy tale belonging to a bygone age. Can you believe God there? Sarah's in that hostile environment. And the enemy's using that against her and Abram at this time. It's easy to believe God up on the mountaintop when he's unpacking this graphic demonstration of his seal upon this contract, this covenant. But down in the throes, down in the valley, down in the shadows where things are not happening the way we expect them to happen, it's a different matter. A different matter altogether. And that leads to spiritual failure more times than we care to imagine. Faithlessness grips the heart. Doubt, fear. Now, God never gave them a timetable. They may, have, they may have imagined one. If you're 75 and God says, I'm going to make you a great nation, you would be looking at the clock, at the calendar and saying, well, let's get started pretty quick, right? <laughs> Sarah and Abram were looking at everything through a natural lens. They believed God when he promised but they still had a human slant on it. They still, had, they still had this natural lens they were looking through. Now time has become a powerful enemy, a challenge to their faith. Things are not happening as they thought. Things are not happening as fast as they expected. If Sarah had had a spiritual compass, it's certainly not working at this moment. She's completely unplugged. From her faith, her trust in God, seeing things through fleshly eyes. And so she concocts this human solution that was common in the culture. It's important to have heirs. It's important to have children. And if one is not able to reproduce and one is not able to have these children, then there was a common solution. That is to have surrogates. Among the servants, others in the household would bear the children. Go in to my servant. It may be, listen to her words here. Go in to my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. You see how the whole promise has shifted? It's no longer about God. It's about her. I need children. Go into my servant so that my reputation, my reputation, my standing, my expectations will be met. It was embarrassing not to have any children at her age. Who knows how long they've been married. They've been married a considerable time, long enough to have a clan of children. And then we see Abram and his miserable failing. The scripture says he listened to the voice of Sarah. Now it's not saying, ladies, he's not saying that men should never listen to their wives. What's he saying here? That Abram listened to this false wisdom, this 
unspiritual, ungodly wisdom that was coming from his wife. Where have you heard this before? We've encountered it before in this very book, haven't we? Genesis 3.17, God's pronouncing the curse after the fall in the garden. And he said to Adam, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you. Listen, guys, he's not saying that everything, that, that your wife has nothing beneficial to contribute to you. He's saying that he listened to her disobedient voice. Her encouragement to disobey God, not to trust God, not an encouraging voice. You've eaten of the tree of which I commanded you. Her voice was ringing in in contradiction to that of God. Note the tragic words here in this text this morning. So after Abram had lived 10 years... In the land of Canaan, Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. You hear the intentionality in these words this morning? After spending 10 years in the land that God promised, 10 years they've seen the promise being fulfilled. They've experienced being in this land that God has given them. Prospering as God had promised, defeating enemies by God's grace, incredible testimony of God's goodness, as in deliverance from Pharaoh, separation from Lot and blessing that was subsequent, not dependent upon how the land looked, but upon God and his word. Rescuing Lot from bondage. The incredible encounter with Melchizedek where Abram stood tall in his devotion to the Lord and trust of the Lord. And then the covenant. All these things have been unfolding over this 10-year period of time. And now in this moment, suddenly they're sitting under the trees there in the shade contemplating we still have no children. God's not able So Sarah took Hagar, and we might know because this text makes clear mention that she's Egyptian, that she must have been fruits from their last misstep when they went down to Egypt to care for themselves during the time of famine. Hagar must have become a part of their clan then, and she gave her to Abram, her husband, by the way, as a wife. That's pretty convoluted. But this is the way of the world. It was an accepted cultural custom. Now, Hagar was young, probably attractive, in the prime of her fruit-bearing years. And a man-made solution for God's failure in order to preserve their own destiny and to preserve God's reputation. Abram listened to Sarah's proposal and tragically agreed to it. Now, it seems that Hagar conceived almost immediately. It's the way the text reads, anyway. Then everything changed. Now, I'm not saying the household was perfect before, but it's truly dysfunctional now, as you can imagine why, right? 
Everything changed. Hagar, it says, had contempt for Sarah. Heirs were very important. They were critical. And Hagar understands that. And now she sees that Sarah's unable to give Abram an heir. And she is able. She's pregnant. She's going to give him what he needs more than anything else, an heir. The dysfunction ruled the house. And this convoluted arrangement began to blossom. Hagar despised Sarah. Sarah despised Abram. And Abram despised himself. He said, well, that's a pretty good leap. And no, it's not. I mean, it says Hagar despised. She had contempt for Sarah. She condescended to Sarah. You can't give him any children. I am carrying his child. Sarah, we hear her words. She's angry at Abram. (laughs) And you want to say, why would you be angry at Abram? Wasn't this your idea? It was. But you see, Abram didn't, he didn't fulfill his responsibility here as a spiritual leader of the house. He should have walked her back. He should have explained to her why this wasn't a solution. He should have explained to her how God had been prospering them and providing for them all along. And they could trust him for a little, little while longer. May the wrong done to me be on you. She's not wrong. I gave my servant to your embrace. And when you saw, when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. Abram despised himself. He just wants it all to go away. Look. She's your servant. She's in your power. You do with her whatever you want. I'm out. I'm out of this. Don't blame me for it. This is what you wanted. Great spiritual leadership, Abram. Sarah gave voice to this ungodly strategy, but Abram failed miserably. This man that's been standing so tall has demonstrated uncommon devotion to God, experienced the incredible covenant offered by God, How could he be so unengaged, irresponsible, and faithless now? Do you know? It's not a hard answer. It's called sin. It's called sin. The righteousness that God gave was imputed to his account. But he's not completely righteous at this point. He's not been changed, glorified forever. He's still a fallen creature living in a fallen world. Abram was not righteous in practice, and it caused quite the mess in his life and his household. Guilt, anger, contempt was flowing through the tent. But there's good news in the midst of all this. There always is with God, right? Sarah, in anger and guilt and desperation, took it all out on Hagar and Abram. Abram abdicated his responsibilities and stood idly by as she did. But note how quickly they gave up on their idea. Note how quickly everything changed when they realized the mess they had created. Hagar fled into the wilderness, probably to return to Egypt. Can't say I blame her. Abram and Sarah made no move to stop her or any move to find her. 
Abram was willing to fight an alliance of kings in order to rescue Lot. But he wasn't willing to lift a finger to walk out into the desert to save his own seed through Hagar. This is how far sin will take us. Human faithlessness is a truly ugly proposition when we look at it closely. But thank God the covenant does not depend upon humanity. It doesn't depend on our failings, our flawedness, our fickleness, our faithlessness. What does it depend upon? It depends upon God's steadfast faithfulness. So let's look at God's steadfast faithfulness. God is the great pursuer. It was God who sought after Adam and Eve when they sinned in the garden, was it not? They tried to hide from him, but he came looking for them. It was God who gave favor to Noah, even when the world stood in the crosshairs of God's judgment and was about to be experienced the wrath of God. It was God who pursued Abram to make him a conduit for restoration for all mankind. It was God who found Moses on the backside of Midian after his own attempt to rescue God's people had failed and blown up right in his face. It was God who chased Elijah and found him in the wilderness. This is the God who reveals himself through Scripture to us. He is always seeking. He is always pursuing. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how long you've done it. God is a faithful God. Steadfast. Unchanging in his pursuit. He found Hagar in a precarious and helpless state. She's no longer under Abram's protection. She's no longer under his care. She's in a harsh context in the wilderness. Somewhere out there where life is hanging in the balance. In the wilderness. Between Kadesh and Bird. No one even knows where Bird is. Somewhere on the way back to Egypt in the wilderness. She's got nowhere to turn. She's a pregnant lady. She's sitting down at a spring because this is the only sign of life she can find. Now, a spring is pretty limited in what it can offer. It offers a little bit of water, maybe a slight bit of vegetation. It might even draw a little bit of animal life. But in the end, it offers very little in the way of supply. God finds her. He called her by name. Hagar, he knows her. He knows her personally. He knows everything about her. He knows the circumstances. He knows the dangers. He knows all that has happened. He calls her the servant of Sarah. God's not, a, God's not buying into that change of job in Abraham's service, moving from servanthood to wife. He doesn't call her the wife of Abram. He calls her the servant of Sarah. That's the role I placed you in. That's the place I put you to do my work. And notice his questions. You have to love God's questions recorded in Scripture. He says, where have you come from and where are you going? Have you thought about it? Where have you come from and where are you going? 
Remember when he found Adam and Eve? He said, who told you you were naked? Who told you you were naked? When he found Elijah, Elijah, what are you doing here in the wilderness? On two occasions, Elijah went through this long, drawn-out, excuse-making monologue, and God said, Elijah, let me rephrase the question. What are you doing here? He didn't ask Moses why he was in Midian, but it was certainly implied. You remember what he asked Jonah? Is it right for you to be angry about the salvation of Nineveh? Or Saul? Saul, why are you persecuting me? You see, all of these places end up being places where our unbelief takes us and deposits us. It places us in a treacherous and difficult situation. God pursues and seeks to lead us out in the path that He makes. Why are you here when you could be traveling with me? Why are you here in this place? God making the contrast. It'd be a lot different if I had brought you to this place because you'd be able to have contentment and peace and joy even in the midst of this barrenness. Hagar's response is quite extraordinary. God says to her, return to your mistress and I and submit to her. Now, she didn't attempt to unpack the story. God said, why did you, why are you here and where are you going? She just said, I'm fleeing my mistress. She's not copping to any responsibility in this deal, right? I'm trying to get away from Sarah. She's treating me harshly. She's treating me unfairly. God says, Return to your mistress and submit to her. I will multiply, I will multiply your offspring. You will be blessed in an innumerable, immeasurable way. Here she was alone with no hope for provision, facing only death. Obey me and I'm going to care for you beyond your wildest imagination. Hagar's response is extraordinary. You are a God of seeing. What's she saying here? You are a God of seeing. Literally, she's saying you are a God who hears and sees beyond anything we can imagine. Certainly, she has heard some references to Yahweh in her time being a part of Abram's family. She's heard about him by name. But this is her first real encounter with God. You are a God of seeing. Bir Lahiroi, the well of the living one who sees me. Not just Abram's God, but a God who's willing to be my God. Not just God of Abraham, Moses, Elijah, David, but a God who is personal to me. God intervenes for us when in our desperation and hopelessness. Now, if I could edit and rewrite the story, I would have had Sarah turn to God in her desperation and panic rather than the cultural model. You probably would too. That'd make for a great story. She had every reason to, but in weakness, trusted in her own ingenuity. 
more than she trusted in God. She, Hagar, with Egyptian influence in her background, responds immediately in faith and trust. The Revised Standard Version speaks of this well, this place, Beherlaharoi, the well of one who sees and lives. Her experience had been with a plethora of gods, all focused on animals, animal life and uh, creation, the sun and the moon and crocodiles and whatever else the Egyptians held up as a god. But she sees here not one who is an inanimate object or one that is distant from her or one who is different from her, but one who is personal and responsive, who connects with her. She says that she has seen God. Should we take this literally? I don't think so. God says no man sees him and lives, right? But it does remind me of Job 42.5. You remember after all of Job's trials, at the end of the book of Job, he says in verse 5 of chapter 42, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Did Job see God? I don't think so. It seems to me God's revelation of himself, even through the hardships that Job experienced, made an incredible difference in how Job understood God. He sees himself in relationship to God as he has never been able to do before. He repents for his lack of understanding of God. Understanding is the difference between hearing and seeing God. This God is a God who sees and hears all things. Listen to the psalmist in Psalm 139. Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Not some of my ways, all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand on me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me. Abram and Sarah failed. But God persevered because he's a covenant God. He used these events to amplify the promise and the purpose that he had for them. Hagar, who was swept up into this story, God pours out blessing on her, beginning even with his grace. Is she a follower, a believer? I think at this moment she is. Because God said, go back to your mistress and submit to her. And she did. She didn't argue with him. She didn't debate with him. She didn't provide a bunch of excuses. She didn't worry about saving face. I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall and heard the conversation when she returned. 
Can you imagine? <laughs> Abram, Hagar, we've been wondering where you were. Yeah, well, I had some thinking to do. But Hagar, you know, Abram, that, that God, Yahweh, he's real. He's something. It must have had an impact. Because when this son who was carried to term was born, Abram called the name of his son Ishmael, which means the Lord has listened to your affliction. God hears. God sees. God knows. Has unbelief taken you off course? Has unbelief caused you to take a detour? To leave the place that God has brought you? Are you beginning to doubt God's ways? Are you wondering why God seems distant? Where are you tempted to intervene and save God's reputation? Is there a place in your life right now where something you're facing, something's going on, and the temptation is there for you? You can feel it. It's so palpable. You can almost taste it. The opportunity is for you to rush in and fix it for God. Listen, without faith, it's impossible to please God. He puts those opportunities in front of us on purpose. They're not accidents. It's on purpose. He's testing the faith. He's testing our belief. Will we believe him when we don't have the answer, when we can't see the answer, when there's no way out, when he has hemmed you in from the back and before you because he knows you? Where do you feel as though God is doing nothing? Where are you tempted to follow the world's wisdom? And abandon waiting on God. You know, Moses wrote these five books of the Pentateuch. And he wrote them during Israel's journey after their own escape from Egypt. Much like Abram's escape from Egypt. This foray into Egypt must have been fresh on their minds. But almost... Daily, weekly, monthly, ever so often, they just forgot it. They just zoned out and forgot that God had delivered them in such astounding fashion. Now, Father Abraham was a great hero, right? And it's what I love about this is Moses doesn't put him on a pedestal. Moses doesn't try to make him into God. He shows him warts and flaws and all, as God does all the way through his word with all the people who follow him. He shows the humanity, the failings, the faithlessness present in Abram. Why? Because Israel struggled with the same thing. They were continually abandoning God. They were continually trying to figure out how they could fix it themselves. Even Moses fell into these same temptations. Time and time again, the people stumbled and faltered and failed to act like God's people. And Moses is giving them encouragement. 
If Abraham failed and God redeemed and God worked in his life in spite of his failure, you can trust this God who is a covenant God. He will be our God because he has promised to be and because his promise is dependent upon his character, not our failings. God's work is not dependent upon human success and failure. It's dependent upon the righteous character of God alone. And our fickleness simply does not thwart God's plans. Now, this is not to say we should encourage disobedience or faithlessness. But it is to encourage us to hope in God that it is He who is bringing us through. He will do it according to His perfect faithfulness. Do you see yourself in this text? Maybe you're in the sandals of Abram and Sarah. Oh, I'm not talking about waiting for an heir or a child, but you've been hemmed in. And there's a choice there. Either you have to believe God or believe in yourself. And you're struggling with that. Or maybe you've already made the decision to trust in yourself and not in God. It's not too late. You can reverse course. Just like Hagar at that tiny stream, that spring out in the desert, you have an opportunity. As God reaches out to you and says, return to me and submit to me. Submit to my plans, my purposes, my voice. I'm going to bring you through. I'm the God you can trust. Maybe you're Hagar, reveling in pride of life and doing as you please. Have you considered that God sees and hears you fully and completely? There's nothing. There is no thought. The psalmist said, no thought that has yet entered your brain that God doesn't already know. And he'll know when it arrives. And he'll know what you're thinking about that thought. You can't avoid it. He knows all. Maybe you need to turn from trusting your own ways and submit to him. Believe his gospel, repent of sin, and his trust in his righteous character. Father, we thank you for who you are. We bless your name today because you're worthy. Lord, I pray that even now your spirit is working in our hearts, that you're showing us the places, the ways, the times, the opportunities where we are tempted to lean into our own understanding And not trust you. Lord, strengthen our belief, our trust, our faith. Knowing that our hope is in you and only in you. I pray for that one today who doesn't know you. That today indeed is the day where they will abandon their own ways and their sin. And they will throw themselves upon your mercy seat. To receive forgiveness of sin and your promise of everlasting life. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.